Praise God. Uh, just great singing, uh, great way to begin the Easter morning with breakfast this morning, and, and then um, to just enjoy God's blessings, and then to come in here and, and hear a choir, and to sing praises to God, and, and to hear his word read, and uh, just to hear about the resurrection of Christ, it, it really is a joy. And, and I see we do have some visitors, and I just want to especially welcome you uh, who are visiting here with us for the first time. We're, we're glad that the Lord has brought you here to this place this morning. I mean, you could have been in a lot of different places, but the Lord has brought you here. And we are thankful for that because uh, we know that in being here, there's a, a lot of different places you could go. But in being here at Ranch View Baptist Church this morning, um, we, we love the gospel. And we love the Lord Jesus Christ, and we know and pray that as you hear the gospel, if you don't know him as Lord and Savior, our prayer is this morning uh, that you would come to know the risen Savior. And if you're here visiting and you're a believer um, and you've come from another church, uh, we pray your heart would be encouraged uh, to be reminded of that resurrection. And so I'm thankful the Lord has brought you here, and, and I want to invite you to take your Bibles and turn to First uh, Peter, First uh, Peter chapter 1. Uh, verses uh, 3 to 5 will be our passage for, for this morning. But before we turn there, uh, I want to ask you to join me in prayer and ask for the Lord's, uh, before we read it, ask for the Lord's blessing. Father, indeed, you have uh, done a marvelous work of redemption, one that you have planned from before the foundations of the world. Um, you knew beforehand, even when you created the world, that we, through Adam and Eve, would fall in our sin, and we would uh, be considered enemies of yours. We would be um, at war with you, and yet you planned a redemption that would reconcile sinners to yourself. And never in our wildest dreams, O oh God, if we had planned a redemption and if we had thought about how to save a fallen humanity, never would we have even dreamt that the dead could be raised. But you have demonstrated that most fully, that you are the one who is over life and death, that in you life exists and, and through you life is given. Uh, there is no life apart from you. And, and though we were overwhelmed by our sin and darkness overcame the earth and, and humanity and, and even the curse fell upon uh, the world that you had created, yet we know that darkness was not victorious. For Christ our Savior came into the world, he overcame darkness, he lived a perfect life, never having sinned, never succumbing to the temptations that were before him, and then uh, in a glorious, mighty, powerful work of redemption, he rose himself from the dead, and he is alive, and he is seated at the right hand of the Father, he is interceding for his children. He is reigning on high, and we rejoice in that this morning, Father. I thank you, Lord Jesus, for your work of redemption. Thank you for coming into the world to do what we could not do, and thank you for giving us a hope that is living and enduring and is never fading. Uh, thank you for redeeming us and for saving us who have placed our faith and hope in you. Your salvation is what the world needs, O oh God, and we pray that this morning as the gospel is being proclaimed all over the world and the resurrection is being proclaimed, that there would be sinners who are still yet in darkness who would hear, and they would hear the voice of the Savior, and they would hear his invitation to come, they would hear the hope of the forgiveness of sin and redemption, 
that they would know that there is a way to be saved and reconciled to their creator and that they would indeed come. Even in this place this morning, Father, we pray for your word to go out with power and authority, that Holy Spirit, you would use it to draw people to yourself and to encourage your saints for the glory of Christ's name. We thank you, Lord Jesus, that you are risen, and we pray this in your name. Amen. Christians and non-Christians face the reality of living in a world in which there is pain and suffering. Uh, it's the result of living in a fallen world and a sinful world. A world fallen from that good and holy condition in which God had originally created. If you look back to Genesis and the beginning of creation, it was originally created good. And we all have various trials, and they come in different forms. People have trials of persecution because of their faith, and even outside of the Christian faith, other religions and people groups are persecuted. Uh, around the world, there's sickness, there's famine, people lose their children, people lose their spouses, people lose their friends. We see poverty, abuse, homelessness, broken families, severed friendships, emotional turmoil, political malfeasance. I mean, isn't that enough? Like, I could go on and you could keep hearing over and over again the fallen world that we live in. This is the reality in which we live. And if asked, and if I were to ask you this morning, most people, apart from Christ, will say, that the hardest part of going through any difficult season of life is maintaining some kind of hope through it all. Uh, one, I mean, it's, it's a movie that I, I've, I've seen, and there was one line in it. Um, it's Shawshank Redemption was the name of the movie, and Andy Dufresne is the main character. And... He's in prison, and he, he is asked by his friend, you know, as he wants to get out of prison, and his friend says, you know, give up on it. Give up on that hope, basically. And Andy Dufresne says, hope is a good thing, maybe the best of things, and no good thing ever dies. And I thought about that phrase, and I thought, you know, hope is a good thing. Now, I don't know what the man's faith was in in that movie, but what I know is this. Hope is a good thing when it is tethered to something stronger than that which is seeking to destroy you. You understand? Hope is only good if what you are looking to is stronger than that which is going to overcome you and destroy you. Now, the problem is that the kind of hope which the world offers is a hope that can, at best, I would say, shield or minimize the experience of physical suffering and pain in this life, right? What the world offers is, at best, a temporary cover for the pain that we feel. This is why people are struck in our society. If you just look all around it, they're struck. The opioid crisis is, like, overwhelming our nation. 
Um, you have people that are overcome by their drug abuse or alcohol abuse. You have people that are overcome by um, their sex slavery, there's prostitution, there's pornography. Like you look at these vices in the world and people are turning to these vices in order to feel that they have some kind of hope or some kind of escape from what is ultimately something that is inevitable. And so for a while, these things that people hope in, they're going to soothe for a while. In San Diego, when summer's coming, we're going to be going to the beaches, we're going to maybe get sunburns, and you take that aloe and you put it on, and it soothes you from the sunburn for a while. But the, the sunburn that is temporary relieved, eventually the aloe wears off, the hope wears off, and the true nature of what is underneath begins to bubble up. And the reason is because any and every hope that is grounded in this life, it ultimately, don't ever forget this, it ultimately dies in this life. Just think about anything in this life, wherever you might place your hope to something in this life, when this life is over, that hope, if you're tethering your hope to something in this life, it too will die. If you tether your hope to your spouse, your spouse will one day die, right? If you tether your hope to your children, your children will also one day die, and you'll probably die even before them. So whatever you're tethering your hope to in this life, it cannot solve the real problem, and the real problem is that men and women have been created with eternity in their hearts, it says in Ecclesiastes 3. We were created to live forever, and if your life ended with the grave, this is what our society tells people, that there is nothing beyond the grave. If your life really truly ended with the grave, then you know what? You would only need to concern yourself with hope in this life. Isn't it true? This is why the world tells that lie. Your life ends with the grave. Once you live, you live, make the best of it, you die, you're buried, your life is over. This is what is told in, in the world. But the fact of the matter is that our lives do not end with the grave. You need to concern yourself with hope that is beyond this life, something that, that actually moves into eternity because the truth is that there is this aching in the heart of man that something is not right with our souls. I think every single one of us here, if you really stop and think about it, there is something not right with our souls. And we know it because we know that we are sinners. We know that we do wrong. We know that we are guilty before God. And we may try and convince ourselves that we're not or that we're good enough. And you might find some solace in your aloe of choice. But our conscience tells us that whatever that hope is that we're trying to tether our lives to, it's not going to satisfy it's not going to satisfy, it's not going to deliver and give what only Jesus can give. And, 
And that's really what brings us to 1 Peter. 1 Peter 1, 3 to 5. And the reason this passage to me this Easter morning is so, uh, it's just so awesome. It, 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 it's so uh, relevant, I think, to our current situation in life is, uh, let me just real quickly give you a little bit of background here. Peter is writing to specifically suffering Christians. He, he's writing to Christians that are in the midst of what he calls um, fiery trials. And he, he calls them elect exiles, exiles, amid fiery trials. To be exiled is to say they're living in a world in, in which they are currently exiled from their home. So, so they're living, they're sojourning in a place that is not their home. They're chosen by God and they're suffering various trials in this place that they're living. And so Peter, what he aims to do in this letter is he actually wants to cultivate hope in them. So, so you could picture they're suffering, they're weak, they're, they're struggling in life, and he wants to actually cultivate hope in them while they seek to live in this present age and suffer distress and loss. He wants to assure them of their hope, and the way that he does it in verses 1, 3 to 5 is he actually ties it to the resurrection. Now, what I found interesting, specifically as I thought about the passage, is when you come to an Easter service, and we've preached it here at this church, and it's necessary, sometimes you hear the historical fact of the resurrection. And you go through the gospel account, and you hear about the history of the resurrection, and it is glorious to hear because the resurrection is not a fairy tale. The resurrection that happened when we sing Jesus Christ is risen today and we read, we're actually reading about a person like me and you that walked on the earth only without sin, and he's God incarnate. But just as you're physical, and you can feel the person next to you, and you sit on the chair, and we ate breakfast, and we... We drank and we swallowed and we ate. We're talking about a Jesus that lived in the world just like you and I are living in the world. He breathed, he talked, he walked, and he died. And he went into the grave as many of our own loved ones have been buried into the grave. But Jesus, the fact is, the tomb is empty. And we can talk about the historical reality, what happened in the past. We could also talk about the present blessings so because Jesus Christ is died and buried and risen, as Chris prayed in his prayer, we have the atonement of sins, the forgiveness of sins. We have reconciliation with God. All these present realities are tied to the fact that Jesus lived, died, and was buried, and he was raised for our justification. And we could think about those realities, and we should. But when we think about Easter morning, this morning... It's, it's not so much the past and the present blessings that I want to talk about, but this Easter morning gives us a reason to praise God as believers, because if you're outside of Christ, this doesn't apply to you. It can if you come to Christ in faith, but as believers, his resurrection also means that we have a future hope. The resurrection tells us that there is a hope for us 
that is beyond this world. Do you need to hear that? I need to hear that because this world, you can look around, is crumbling. And if you look and place your hope in this world, you will be disappointed. But there is a hope that the Christian has that Peter says points us beyond this world and it points us to a future with God in glory for eternity. Because Jesus lives and the tomb is empty, you, beloved, have a living hope and an eternal home. And that is a message that Peter wants to drive home to them. So let me read 1 Peter. I'll actually read verses 1 to 9, but we're only going to look at 3 to 5. Peter opens his letter. Peter, an apostle of Jesus Christ, to those who are elect exiles of the dispersion in Pontus, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, and Bithynia, according to the foreknowledge of God the Father, in the sanctification of the Spirit, for obedience to Jesus Christ and for sprinkling with his blood, may grace and peace be multiplied to you. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. According to his great mercy, he has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead to an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, and unfading, kept in heaven for you, who by God's power are being guarded through faith for a salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. In this you rejoice, though now for a little while, if necessary, you have been grieved by various trials, so that the tested genuineness of your faith, more precious than gold that perishes, though it is tested by fire, may be found to result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Though you have not seen him, you love him. Though you do not now see him, you believe in him and rejoice with joy that is inexpressible and filled with glory, obtaining the outcomes of your faith, the salvation of your souls. That is a reason Peter gives to praise God, because Jesus Christ is risen. And so, you look there in verse 3. In verse 3, Peter says that we have been born again to a living hope. A living hope. Now, one way the world can think about hope, besides the fact that the hope the world offers is empty, but hope can be used as a desire for something good in the future, right? So, for example, a child may say, I can go to the baseball game right? I hope I can go to the baseball game. Or hope can be used to refer to something future, some future thing we desire, such as maybe your, your spouse, your wife is pregnant, and you're hoping that the baby will, will be healthy. Like, these are all hopes that are, are not certain, if they're not certain, maybe the baby will be born healthy, maybe not. Maybe you will go to the baseball game. Maybe you will not go to the baseball game or whatever it is. And so we can have a hope with a kind of uncertainty attached to it. 
That's usually how people think about hope. But the hope that Paul, Peter is talking about here is a certain and a confident hope. And that's why he calls it a living hope, and he ties it to the resurrection of Jesus from the dead. What makes the hope of the Christian secure is that Jesus Christ is risen from the dead. Now, so it's living hope in that way, but what also makes it living is he's drawing a contrast to the dying hope of the world, the, the kinds of things we already talked about. The, the hope of the world is dying, and so people root their hopes so deeply in the soil of the world, they're looking for heaven on earth, but ultimately the earth is dying. The earth is dying. You realize that, right? In fact, what dominates our world is, you might say, a culture, and you've maybe heard it called as a culture of death. Doesn't, isn't it? Think about the world in which we live, and it looks like death is actually the thing that dominates our culture. People made in the image of God are dying to that image. People that are born and in the wombs of their mothers are being snuffed out on a daily basis. Uh, people that are supposed to be married and stay together for the rest of their lives are, are dying in their families and, and destroying their families. I mean, you could go on and on, but death is really what's dominating. And the contrast is for the Christian is that we have a hope in Jesus Christ that is not enveloped in a culture, enveloped in a culture of death, but in a in a culture and a reality of life. We are sinners dead in trespasses and sins, and the world is under a curse, but in Christ, we have a living hope, one that is not impacted by the death of the world, but is alive and, and well. The world is groaning, it's dying, but Christ is living and he's alive. And so, if you remember the story of Esau, do you remember Esau when he came in from the field and he was exhausted? This is an account in Genesis. When Esau came in from going and hunting and he was exhausted and he came before Jacob and he sold his birthright to Jacob. And you remember what he sold it for? If a bowl of stew. So he was so hungry, he, he, he was so desperate for food, and he wanted to find his hope in the food of the world that he actually sold his birthright for a bowl of stew. And then what happens after he ate the stew? What does he want back? He wants his birthright back because it, the stew didn't satisfy him. And so he cries out, he wants it back, and God basically says, no, you can't have it back. You sold your soul for a bowl of stew, and now you want your birthright back, and he could not obtain it. It's the same thing for the soul in this world. If your heart is captivated by the things of this world, and you hope in it, it's a dying and a fleeting hope. And when you get your satisfaction and you realize on that day of judgment that I sold my birthright 
for a bowl of stew or whatever it is, you cannot get it back. It's appointed unto man once to die, then comes judgment. Same thing was true of Judas. When Judas, who walked with Jesus for three years, ministering next to him, one among the twelve, what did he sell his birthright for? He sold it for 30 pieces of silver. He rejected Jesus for 30 pieces of silver, and when he took the money and he received it, in exchange for the Lord of glory, that hope was so destitute and was so hopeless that he himself couldn't even bear to live any longer, and he gets rid of the 30 pieces of silver, and he destroyed himself. You could go on, but here's the good news of the resurrection. Beloved, if you are in Christ, you do not have a dying hope, but you have a living hope. When our Lord rose again, we rose to eternal life through him and with him. The scripture says, death was swallowed up and it lost its sting, and victory came through Jesus. Heaven came to earth and brought us up with him. Here's how it says in Isaiah 25, 8 to 9. He will swallow up death forever, and the Lord God will wipe away tears from all faces, and the reproach of his people will take away from all the earth for the Lord has spoken, it will be said on that day, Behold, this our God, we have waited for him that he might save us. This is the Lord, we have waited for him. Let us be glad and rejoice in his salvation. Jesus swallowed up death forever. 1 Corinthians 15. O death, where is your victory? O death, where is your sting? The sting of death is sin, and the power of sin is the law. But thanks be to God who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Jesus said, He is the resurrection and the life. Whoever believes in him, though he die, yet shall he live. And everyone who lives and believes in me shall never die. And so we have a firm anchor in Christ. The second point that Peter makes here is that through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead, we have been born again, he says, to an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, unfading, kept in heaven for you. So a living hope through the resurrection. And then he says, remember this, to an in inheritance. Now, the word inheritance is tied to the fact that we've been brought into the family of God. So, so this is important to remember. We're not talking about an abstract living hope, and we're not talking about some abstract future inheritance. We're, we're talking about an actual inheritance. Fathers give their children an inheritance. They leave an inheritance for their children. Some of you have received one before. 
Some of you maybe are preparing to leave one for your own children. Some of you maybe would have loved to receive an inheritance, but there was nothing left. That happens too, right? Your parents get sick and maybe the whole inheritance is spent. Or maybe you don't have anyone to actually leave anything for you. The point here is that when God caused you to be born again, he not only gave you a new heart, but Jesus says through his resurrection, Peter says through Jesus' resurrection, he adopted you into his family. He gave you an inheritance. His children have an inheritance in Christ. And it's not like an inheritance that the world knows or offers. Inheritances are temporary by nature and fickle, right? One of the things I always see driving, and, and I understand it, their loved one died, and sometimes you'll see that car that's driving in front of you, and it says a sticker on the back of a, what probably used to be a brand new car. It says, in loving memory of my mom and, or my dad. And so what happens is they got an inheritance and they purchased a brand new car from the inheritance. They needed a car and they want to recognize this inheritance. And so they put a, a sticker on the back of the car to recognize that it's an inheritance. But inevitably what happens when I really notice those stickers is generally when the sticker is faded and worn out and the car is old and worn out, right? That's usually when you notice it. Because, it, uh, at least me, because I'm always thinking, I am so grateful that my inheritance in Christ is not like that. My inheritance in Christ and being part of his family is not going to break down. It's not going to spring an oil leak. It's not going to have a flat tire. Its engine won't explode. It won't end up in a junkyard. Because my inheritance in Christ is forever. And the reason you know that your inheritance in Christ is forever is because Jesus lives. Because Jesus rose again. Because Jesus is alive, we who have by faith come into Christ, are alive with him. Amen? Amen? That is the best news in the world. We will never miss anything that this world has to offer. It will all, people will fight over inheritances. They're subject to decay. They're subject to loss. But not so with God. Not so with God. The true inheritance of God's people is realized when Christ rose from the dead. This is why Jeremiah will write in Lamentations 3.24, The Lord is my portion, says my soul, therefore I will hope in him. And Peter explains a little bit about the inheritance. You'll notice three things, he says. It's imperishable. That means it'll never die. It can never be destroyed. It's undefiled. 
meaning it will never lose its luster or beauty or be stained by sin. It's never going to spoil. And it's unfading. That means that it will be just as beautiful and glorious on day one as it will be after 10,000 years in eternity. Imperishable, undefiled, unfading. That inheritance will always be remarkable. And then Peter says one more thing. It is kept in heaven for you. Because Jesus lives, because of Easter, you have a future home that is secured by him who lives in heaven. You have a future inheritance that's imperishable, undefiled, unfading, and you are kept by God's power. Now, that's if you've placed your faith in him. Now, you may be thinking, how do we know we will indeed receive our inheritance in the end? How can I be sure that I will not lose it in some way? Maybe I'll fall away and the salvation which God has reserved for his children in heaven will be forfeited on account of my weakness. Maybe I will be overcome by the darkness and fall away from following Jesus. And Peter says it's not possible because God protects his own. It is through faith, but it is not a faith that you produce on your own. It is a faith that Jesus, by his resurrection, produces and sustains in you. Peter says through faith, not meaning your own strength, but through the means of faith in Jesus, God is going to protect you by his own power. And this is exactly what Peter had to learn. Peter had to learn, even when he rejected Christ, after saying he wouldn't, Jesus prayed for him and said, though you will deny me, your faith will not fail. And that is how Jesus prays for us, and I want to conclude with with this. Turn to John 17, verses 13 to 19. You see, as Jesus is going to the cross and he's about to die and he's going to raise again, he meets with his disciples here in John 17 and he is going to pray for them. We see, like us, Jesus had joy, pain, suffering in the world, but Jesus knows where he's going. He knows he's going back to the Father after he dies. He knows he's going to be risen again. He's going to go back to his glory He's sent here into the world he made for the purpose of dying for, to save sinners. He's exiled so that we might be reconciled. He's exiled so that he might bring us home. And Jesus prays then for his people. He says before God, but now I am coming to you. He's about to die, but he's saying, but now I'm coming to you. And these things I speak in the world that they may have my joy fulfilled in themselves. Verse 14, John 17. I have given them your word and the world has hated them because they are not of the world just as I am not of the world. 
I do not ask that you take them out of the world, but that you keep them from the evil one. They are not of the world, just as I am not of the world. Sanctify them in the truth. Your word is truth. As you sent me into the world, so I have sent them into the world. And for their sake, I consecrate myself that they also may be sanctified in the truth. Then he says in verse 20, I do not ask for these only, but also for those who will believe in me through their word. Verse 24, Father, I desire that they also, whom you have given me, now here, here's what he, he prays for. He's saying, Father, I desire that those who you gave me may be with me where I am to see my glory that you have given me because you loved me before the foundation of the world. You understand what Jesus is praying there? The point is, is if you come to faith in the Lord Jesus Christ, then you are in this world, but you're not of the world. It means you live here, you work here, you eat here, you play here, you suffer here, you go through trials here, you feel pain here, you're treated poorly here, you have sorrow here, you're persecuted here, but your rightful place is not here. Your home is not here, it's with God in heaven to be with Jesus Christ. And Jesus Christ himself asked his father, I desire that those who believe in me will be with me in glory. Do you think there's any chance that if you've placed your faith in Christ that that prayer of Jesus won't be answered? Is there a chance? Not a chance. Jesus will bring his people home. And we have that promise, and that is the good news of the resurrection and Easter you have a living hope, you have an eternal home, and that hope this morning, remember, beloved, it is tethered to a risen Savior. Amen? Amen. Amen. Let's pray. Father, we thank you so much for the hope of redemption that we have in Christ, to know that while the hopes of this world often fall apart and they're temporary and they're fickle and they fade away because this world is under a curse and our sinful natures reveal it. Yet we know that in this fallen world that we have a hope that is tethered to the risen Savior who is even now risen again and at your right hand and he is living forevermore. So for as long as Jesus Christ is alive and living, so we who have placed our faith in him will be living. We know that you have given us an inheritance that will never perish or spoil or fade, that it is kept in heaven for us, that the Lord Jesus himself prayed for us that our faith would not fail, but that we would always remain faithful and he too would remain faithful to his promises. And we know, O oh God, that we live in a world of broken promises. People promise things to each other time and time again, and we break them, but yet we know that in Christ, all of the promises of God are yes and amen in him. 
that you never break your promises. You are never unfaithful to your word. You will never turn and leave us to fend for ourselves. But if we have believed on Christ, we know that your promise to us is that our hope is secure and our home is with you in heaven. We pray, Lord Jesus, that you would come take us home soon. We know that you are patient with this world, not wanting any to perish. But we also know, Lord Jesus, that we desire to be with you. Even as you told Mary Magdalene on that day, you said, don't cling to me, for I need to go back to my father. And she wanted to be with you. She wanted to hold on to you in this life and, and to never be outside of your presence with her. Lord, that's our desire. We want to be with you where you are. We want to see your glory, Lord Jesus. We want to walk with you and talk to you. We want to sit down and be blessed by you and praise you and rejoice in your name, in your presence. Uh, we, we, Father, we know that we are living now by faith in what we cannot necessarily see, but we know that that day is coming when our faith uh, will be turned to sight. And so, Lord Jesus, we pray that you would return and you would come to bring us home. And we know that we're here and you've left us here to live out the life that you've called us to live. So help us then until you return to be faithful servants and to do what Mary did and to go tell others that you are risen from the grave, to do what the apostles did and to proclaim the word to a lost and dying generation. And so we pray that you would be honored this morning, Lord, with our proclamation, with our songs of praise, and with our thanksgiving. For it's in the name of Christ, our risen Savior, we pray. Amen.